Jackie Tan and welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. On the show, we chat with experts, athletes, coaches and authors to educate and inspire you. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind and discover your extraordinary potential. Today on the show, I chat with professional triathlete and four-time South Australian triathlete of the year, Steve McKenna. Steve made the transition from football to triathlon back in 2015 after he broke his leg playing footy and has since become a pro triathlete, ranking 51st in the pro triathlete organization world rankings. And if that wasn't impressive enough for you, he achieved that in between studying law and marketing and juggling a full-time job. Since June 2019, his results in international races have either been first or second, which has resulted in him being ranked second in the world for 2019 Challenge Family Race Series. He also debuted in the Ironman distance at Challenge Anhui, China, and finished second place with one of the fastest Ironman distance debuts in history. It was so awesome chatting with Steve and getting a bit of insight into what it takes to become a triathlete or a pro triathlete for that matter and stay there. And also the fact that 2020 has provided more than its fair share of challenges. This was such a fun chat. Enjoy this episode with Steve McKenna. Steve, thank you so much for chatting with me today. You are ranked in the top 50 professional triathlete organization world rankings. When you're having a shit day, do you just remember that stat and go, oh, yeah, things are all right? <laughs> um, in terms of training, yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but everything else, yeah, I think I, um, I probably determine success by uh, my happiness. So uh, that's, that's going to be irrelevant in the end. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. I like to hear that. Um, yeah. what, what I think is pretty incredible though, is I guess you got that ranking based on uh, your history, uh, which is not that going that far back, but you were training what up to 30 hours a week, full-time job and study. So I think it's pretty incredible that you've reached you know, that so far and, and, uh, and have so much to go. But before we get into all of that, let's get some background on you. Where, where did it all start for you and how did you eventually get into triathlons? Uh, it all started, uh, uh, I was a runner at a national level as a junior. Um, so I always knew I liked um, aerobic endurance sort of sports, but um, I used to get nervous as a kid. So um, I'd always underperform at nationals. And if you look up steeplechase stack on YouTube, that's an example of um, me, <laughs> really? me choking. Yeah. It's me falling headfirst into the, into the water. So not, not yeah, one but, we should put in the show notes. 
uh, you probably should actually. <laughs> All right. It's pretty funny. Looking back, it's funny now, but it was devastating at the time. <laughs> but basically, that's an example of me and the pre-race nerves getting the best of me. So I gave up on it um, at, as a junior um, and it was really sad. Um, yeah, it was, it was all that mattered to me. And that's the reason I got so nervous because it was all that mattered. But I gained perspective by um, quitting running, going and playing footy with mates and having fun, um, drinking a lot more than I would have imagined as an elite level runner as a junior. And then, yeah, with the perspective I gained, I um, eventually, um, you know, started loving running again, but still playing footy. And I was in a footy club where it's hard to leave. You're kind of so close with everyone there. And, um, you know, if you were to leave without a valid excuse, it's like, well, why are you going? Yeah. So, so eventually um, I did get back into my running and uh, I broke my leg really badly playing footy uh, one day. And that was just for an amateur league club, Ross Trevor Old Collegians. Um, and we took it really seriously, but it, it was more about the social stuff, really. Um, so, yeah, when I broke the leg, um, this, it made a big noise. It was a horrible amount of pain. And as I was squeezing, squeezing the grass, pulling the, the roots out and um, basically screaming, <laughs> I, um, all I thought of was that the fact that I couldn't do the city Bay that year it wasn't like I'm not going to be able to... Um, do finals in two weeks for footy. So um, straight away in that moment, realised that I should be running. I sh you know, that's obviously what I care about. Um, and, you know, footy is stopping that from happening. So, yeah, I decided straight away to do a 180 on the way I was living my life. And um, uh, But, yeah, rehabilitation um, obviously involved cycling and swimming. So I, would, um, I was non-weight bearing for, I think, 14 weeks and on crutches for 14 weeks. So it was pretty horrible. But um, after asking physio, my physio and um, the doctor what I can do, they said stationary cycling, take off the moon boot and um, swimming. So I did that and I just tied my feet together because with the syndesmosis ligament, if I was to kick, it would um, ruin the recovery. So yeah, um, I got pretty good at both of those things as good as you can with uh, you know, a recovering leg and eventually um, took the moon boot off and went up Norton Summit and there was a sassy coach riding and he said, what's your PB? And I said, I don't know. I've never done it. And he said, oh, your first time on the hill. I said, well, it's my first ride on the roads ever. Um, and he said, well, you've just done, you know, 16 minutes for Norton Summit. Um, I have no idea what that meant at the time. And anyway, they, they got me out training with them um for with cycling sa i suppose you the south australian institute of sport it was just twice a week i would join the group um you know and they taught me the gears and the bike and everything like that um told me that i wasn't allowed to wear um footy socks and footy shorts <laughs> on the rides and eventually i learned that that wasn't gonna that wasn't accepted by anyone in the team <laughs> um so yeah basically i, I was falling off the bike too often coming down the hills and all sorts because I would turn corners with my left leg down if we were turning left and just didn't know anything. I was so green in the sport. So it was, um, it was really affecting my mental, um, you know, the happiness of just doing cycling because it was just a huge skill to learn. I didn't do it as much as, much as most people did as a kid probably. So the, the bike skills weren't there at all. And it's not just, um, it wasn't going to be just learning um 
you know, how to be a professional cyclist or anything like that. It was learning to how to ride a bike as well. So um, it seemed like a huge, huge task. And then um, eventually I, I realized once I could run that triathlon might be the go. So I immediately stopped this sassy cycling, which probably was a huge opportunity I was passing up because no 22 year old gets asked to join sassy cycling. But um, yeah, triathlon seemed the way to go because I love running so much and swimming. I was enjoying that too. The sassy coaches said not to run. It's going to ruin your bike legs and that wasn't going to fly with me. So I quit, did the first triathlon locally in West Lakes and won it. Um, and then that week I pulled back on, uh, well, I quit my landscaping job and decided I was going to do this as a pro, um, no matter what it took. So within a week I was completely obsessed and taking it very seriously. (laughs) (laughs) So. Can you talk about your first triathlon in a little bit more detail? Like what, going into it, what were you even thinking? Like, did you think you were going to place? Did you, did you know what you were getting yourself into? Who the competitors were? Like, what, what was that all like um, for you? Yeah, no, I, it wasn't. Westlake's triathlons aren't like a, you know, a huge um, race with lots of pros or anything. So, and all the all the people racing were. Um, I suppose just, you know, age group triathletes and there was some really solid ones there, I guess, but, um, um, so, and yeah, some really good athletes. Um, but yeah, my only problem in my head was I don't know where I'm at with swimming. I have no idea. I know I can cycle because these people at the sassy cycling team think it was a potential to, you know, go pro or something eventually. Um, I know I can run because that's what I do. Um, and yeah, so the swimming, I just didn't know. That's the only area that I thought that I might struggle. Um, and I came out of the water first. So I was, um, <laughs> well, this that, is all right. that, yeah. So that was the only question mark really as to how well I'll go. But yeah, when I came out of the water, like with the leaders or first, I, um, yeah, then I thought, oh, it's going to be fine. Yeah. How long were you running before that first one? Uh, before the first one, it probably had been around, probably had been around, um, eight to 12 months. So it was enough time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a very slow build up, but I, I waited that long to do a, a triathlon, um, just, or to do any racing because for well, obvious reasons, I just, um, oh, I think it was through winter that it was rec- happening anyway. So I couldn't, mm. I had to wait till summer. Yeah. 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 And up until recently, you'd been working full-time, studying and training. How did you manage that for so long and do so well? Yeah, uh, well, I was, you know, I had um, full-time hours across the board um, in terms of hours, but my working, my actual working hours were only about 20 to 25 hours. So I would work after hours. It would be it might be like a 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. or a 7 p.m. to 12 a.m., um, stuff like that. So, yeah, it was it was pretty horrible, to be honest. It's been tough. Um, if you ask my partner, fiancé, Lauren, it's, yeah, it's a sacrifice for her as well. Yeah. Um, the social life just isn't a thing, unfortunately. But I felt like I knew, yeah, I was going to quit earlier this year, but COVID happened. Um, but, yeah, I've just been getting what I feel like is B minuses in all areas of life. There's probably five areas There's study of a law marketing degree. There's, um, there's the training, which is 20, 
to 30 hours a week, depending on whether you're leading into a race or coming out of a race or whatever else there is. Um, then there's the work, which was, you know, 20 to 25 hours a week. Um, and then there's social life and yeah. And coaching is another, is probably the fifth one, which I've just taken on in the last maybe year, year and a half. So, so this year due to COVID, I went straight back to where I was at the beginning. Unfortunately, I thought it was all, you know, starting to come together finally making some money off the sport as an athlete I can pull back on a few things and become an actual athlete rather than balancing all these things like you say but yeah COVID's ruined that the income from triathlon has just disappeared completely um there's no races obviously um until very recently um so yeah it's it's that was hard to deal with mentally and I picked up where I was four years ago having to do it all to fund triathlon basically yeah. the investment's been huge so i had to work a fair bit at times it was over 20 to 25 hours a week but it was rare because it is impossible how you're supposed to um sleep and everything so i don't know how it happened in 2019 it, it was it surprised me because there was a lot on my plate but yeah i felt great i don't know why i have no <laughs> idea why <laughs> My coach kept saying, keep sleeping, mate. That's awesome. I'm like, I'm not sleeping at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, 12 a.m. Sometimes, yeah. So I'd get home and Lauren's home alone. And um, yeah, it, I would just, we were living in Broadview at the time. So it was about a 15, 20 minute drive to work. So I would train all day, maybe get there at 3 p.m. or either that or 7 p.m. sometimes and work till midnight or something. But yeah. And then sometimes if I had some coaching to do, I didn't want to wake Lauren up. So I just sit at a server and do my coaching until wow. like 1am and, and then get home. She gets up at 6.30. So that's how much sleep I'm going to get. Um, once I'm awake, I'm awake. So yeah. if she gets up at 6.30, that's it. I'm up. And there wasn't time for naps. So that wasn't happening. So yeah, standard would be about six to five, probably five to seven hours sleep. And maybe once a week we'd make up a huge amount of sleep nearly getting to eight hours <laughs> wow so yeah where did so, you fit in yeah where, where was rest and recovery like was there a recovery routine or was it just Not train really. and work yeah it was just train work and sleep um luckily my coach he would structure the week well tim reed and he and he would put in very easy days so that i could absorb all the training um but yeah, I, I didn't. Or I didn't really even have time to put in all my work, and and you get called in a lot as well. So, you know, my my work schedule was actually busier than it would have looked on on the um, schedule that I gave to the coach. And yeah, I don't. And basically, race trips, I would finally sleep. So that, they're my holidays. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty distracted heading into a race with all everything going on and study and exams seem to always clash with the race week, which is really annoying. So yeah. I don't know. I'm always, yes, it seems like race weeks come and you've got like a big test or exam to stay up <laughs> till midnight great. doing every single night. <laughs> well, you seem but, to yeah. have been managed it all right. Like <laughs> yeah, you've done yeah. all right so far. And you've yeah, just, I think I burnt out at the end of last year though. Ah, uh, so, so, And yeah. you've just quit your job. Yeah. I have. And I'm noticing, I'm noticing um, how good I feel rather than feeling like absolute rubbish all the time. Yeah. Um, and you can, 
be mentally strong enough to just train through it um, and pretend you're not feeling like crap. But yeah, wow. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I, my back was ruined. Everything was wrecked. I was mentally done by by about mid November last year, and it took me a few months to be able to like reach over and turn off the alarm without a lot of pain in the back. So oh, wow. yeah, I think the recovery and the travel the position on the bike, everything adds up. And yeah, I was wrecked. My dad was in Malaysia for the last win that I had. And he said, you need to rest badly. Like this is, it's time. <laughs> and then I ended up taking on more. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I finally learned that it's not really a risk um, if I'm willing to lose. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull back and financially it'll be hard, but yeah. it's going to be worth it. So what, what does your training look like now that you got a bit more time and recovery for that matter? Um, well, uh, training's just, it's probably the same. I just yeah. feel a bit better. I just feel a bit better day to day. Um, and the training sessions, I'm probably getting a little bit more out of them. Um, and it's, it's hard, it's hard to hold back when it's an aerobic day, but that's, you know, I know that there's a big, big purpose to an aerobic training day. So, but yeah, it's, it's just basically focusing on sleep. I've probably got more time to go and get a massage now, but um, I feel bad because obviously quitting the job, <laughs> every bit of money I spend now, I'm like, oh, there's not really an income for a while until races pick up big time. But yeah. I, I feel like it's a worthy investment in recovery. Every, every recovery tool I can invest in now I'm going to, and I'm just going to test it, see how it goes. And if I go broke, because <laughs> uh, I race terribly. I, I, if I race better with heaps of work stress and all sorts, then um, I'll probably go back to that and that's fine. Life's going to continue. <laughs> At the end of the day, I'll be alive. But yeah, it's, um, everything's all good. I'm really loving just napping for about half an hour, an hour um, in the middle of the day um, and then pick up another training session, but do it way better without that sleep yeah. headache that I always complained about to Lauren. That's awesome. That must be pretty exciting for you to to feel like this and, and it's only the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's really exciting, actually. I'm, I'm much happier day to day. My anger issues are completely gone. It must have been <laughs> sleep, sleep de- deprivation. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah, I just feel like um, I'm much happier doing less. I, yeah, I just couldn't bring myself to, to sit around and waste any time that I could be productive with. Mm. So. I'm trying my hardest to be okay with just sitting down and, and maybe reading a book. I'm probably, I'm getting more out of reading um, some interesting stuff that can awesome. like propel me even further anyway. So yeah. 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 Stuff I like think your we could all, all do with a bit of sitting down and reading for that matter. Give back to the yeah, body yeah. and the brain. I feel guilty for people with kids and people busier than me. So I shouldn't be saying it too loud, but I'm really enjoying just being able to actually, you know, chill out, read a book. Um, yeah, stuff like that. So it's um, just breeding more and more of motivation. Brilliant. I, um, I read a, a quote of yours. You said, I have always struggled on the run leg of long course triathlon races. Running is your strength due to your huge, my huge sweat rate, making it challenging to take on enough fluids. How did you figure this this was a problem to begin with? I mean, obviously we all sweat when we're running hard, but how did you figure out that that was the problem and how have you learned to manage that? I suppose um, the introduction of my coach 
my current coach, Tim Reed, um, was how I learned it. He's a big believer in no one's drinking enough. Um, and I had no idea. I always thought I was bonking on the run leg because I was not eating enough because it feels like hunger usually when you're bonking. Yeah. So I just kept on taking on more Sorry, what's more that gels. word? Bonking. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Is that a legitimate term? <laughs> yeah, if you Google it, it's, it says something like... Um, I'll Google it now. It says something like, um, here we go. I'll just read it out. Bonk. It's called hitting the wall, basically, in endurance sports. It's, yeah, it's given me a different, (laughs) a British (laughs) version of it, which is sex. But (laughs) It's definitely (laughs) not what you were talking about. But when you (laughs) you type in bonking in endurance sports, then you'll find that it's just uh, fatigue, loss of energy caused by depletion of glycogen stores in the liver and muscles. So I always thought I was bonking (laughs) (laughs) due to uh, lack of, um, I don't don't know, um, nutrition. But yeah, yeah. and I just thought that I burnt through more than most because my metabolism's high. Um, I was very wrong. I'm only, so in my first half attempt to get my pro license, I was in Geelong. and it was all going really well. And I'd had about 10 or 12 gels already um, throughout the race. It's only a four hour race. So that's, it's, it's too much. I, my gut yeah. can handle it, but um, it was too much. Um, so I got to about my 12th gel thinking that I needed another one to get through the last four Ks. And I was, I think there was a pro field of 20 and I was an age grouper in my first attempt, um, probably 18 months into the sport and I was coming 11th overall. So I was definitely going to get this pro license, but I just had to finish four more Ks, but I was dizzy. I was all over the place. Um, so yeah, we, eventually the reason I found out that it was hydration is because Reedy said, um, told me his thoughts on it. So instead of drinking, you know, two bottles on the bike, I'm, I'm now drinking three and a half, maybe four or something like that. So basically we, um, we have figured out that, you know, I finished a race in the heat drinking way more water and just eating a normal amount of gels. Um, and then from then on, I've never had an issue. It was just like that. It was just, wow. It was just drinking way more than we think we need to drink. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so how many gels are you having? Cause, uh, 11 sounds like a lot. Yeah. It was disgusting. Every race <laughs> I just awful. get an- anxious about all the, gels that I had to drink eat so yeah so now I'm only having probably three on the bike in a two-hour ride um and probably only like three on the run so six all up I've halved it but I've probably doubled the water yeah 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 (laughs) on the run as well I drink a lot more now as well yeah I just carry a bottle at all times yeah who do you look up to um it's a hard one actually I've there's a lot of people that I kind of get obsessed with in terms (laughs) of taking motivation from. Um, And they're people like Muhammad Ali. Yeah. um, A controversial one would be Lance Armstrong. Not, not thanks. Yeah. Not due to his, um, the way he is towards other people, just the motivation he had Mm. to succeed and what, you know, I guess not what he would do to succeed, but more like, the effort he'll put in yeah. to succeed. Um, I don't obviously look into his techniques of drug cheating to, of um, to drive motivation, but it's um, just more about 
his drive, people with that much drive. And then Muhammad Ali stood for a lot more than just sporting drive. So I like that. Um, and then obviously if you're a long distance triathlete, everyone looks up to Craig Alexander. He's just um, a great man. If anyone was to cut in in a race, because I've raced him a few times, if anyone was to cut in, which is basically breaking a draft line and in a bunch of blokes, you, you, you ha- you're meant to go to the front. But if he cut in, I would say nothing. I'd say, please. Yeah, Sir, Sir Alexander, he rolled out the red carpet. Down. But <laughs> if anyone else did it, there'd be abuse. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> so yeah, basically he's just a great, he's just a great guy with, um, yeah, with obviously the best resume in the sport. Um, and yeah, another one I guess would just be um, a few role models that I've taken. Um, it's all, it's all triathlon mostly other than those yeah. two I mentioned before. Um, yeah, I think, um, the way that, uh, so Tim Reed is my coach, but I do look up to him a lot in the way that he, um, the way that he goes about his coaching and also the, the kind of, I suppose the kind of person he is. Um, I had a good mentor in Matty White when I first started triathlon. He's another one I, I like to take, um, advice from on, on, you know, the sports stuff and yeah. Clearly, if they're all triathletes, then I'm obsessed. But um, I think you kind of have to be for the time that I'm, that you're a pro- professional. And I can't wait until ten years from now when I can be less selfish and make our life not just you know not just about winning a race. Um, but yeah, um, Lauren understands that for now yeah. it's going to be my obsession. <laughs> for the next my- ten years, it's all about <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Kind of in a. Yeah, hopefully not, not at all. But because um, we do want to have kids and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's just just as in um, the obsession yeah. will stop, and I can have other hobbies like um, yeah, anything. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with some hobbies now that I could get into rather than going to work. But yeah, I'm just completely consumed because my only spare time I need to do some training. So, yeah. and you got to talk about it a lot, and because it's because I'm always at work. Otherwise it seems like it's all I talk about, but not really because I've got all this time where I'm at work and studying. So yeah. Yeah. So anyone who yeah is serious about their career will do anything and everything to be the best at it. So yeah, is what it yeah. is. <laughs> so yeah. many things can go wrong in triathlons. What, would have been your biggest challenges in a race, but then also potentially leading up to a race? Um, so in a race, I would have said the hydration yeah. was originally my biggest issue. Um, and then, yeah, I've never really had any men- any issues mentally in a race. It's always been pretty good. I, I race pretty consistently to my potential, but, which is so interesting because obviously as a child growing up you you always quite nervous running races so how did you how did you manage to get over that um i I just i just reflected a lot when i'd quit running yeah on the fact that you know it only took a week or maybe even less for me to not even care at all that i underperformed at nationals it was completely devastating at the time and i could have cried but um but it always took me so little time to get over it. So then I eventually realized when I gained perspective and realized that running wasn't everything, 
you know, when I was out with mates, having fun, drinking, playing footy, any, you know, studying law and marketing, all sorts of other things that came into my life. I just realized how little it mattered. Um, and that no one ever, including me actually cared about my result. So, you know, in the long run, I didn't even care about the result, whether it was good or bad, because you just move on, don't you? So eventually I realized just how little it mattered in the big scheme of things. We're going to live and then die. So why do you care so much? So I just never put any pressure on myself again, really. And um, I think the only time I get nervous now is if I'm underprepared. When you're underprepared. Right. Yeah. But I just don't feel that way um, anymore. So yeah. Yeah. Because obviously you're putting in the hours, you're putting in the work, but, um, but the outcome of these, these races or events, I mean, there is a bit more on the line. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, Yeah. At times it was like last year trying to get to these races was tough financially. So um so yeah, I was, I was investing almost my life savings every time I went to a race yeah. in a flight and accommodation or something. So, uh, and then I'd build up the fitness for the next race, but also I was building up the bank account to pay to get to the next race. So, um, and I was racing so often, it's just huge investment. And if it, if it didn't pay off, it was, it was a little bit de- devastating. I kept, kept coming um, in my first few pro races in America, I kept coming ninth instead of eighth and eighth got paid. Mm-hmm and ninth didn't so stuff like that kept happening and i'd go into a little bit of debt and then get myself out and go to another race but um but it's i don't know i just i still wasn't putting expectations on myself to do that well yet just yet i knew that there was a process and it was going to take time so you know it was just going to be a bonus if i got any money i wasn't i wasn't thinking it relied on this. I still thought I'm going to be okay. I'll just do what I'm doing, you know, build up the bank account again and do another race. You know, I'd go like that forever if I had to, Yeah. (laughs) but luckily I'm not going to have to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, let's talk about race day. What does your morning look like and how do you prep? Um, As I said, when I go to races, I'm on holiday. So I'm pretty relaxed. Um, and really taking in a new environment, new place. Um, so yeah, race morning, I'm usually actually late to the transition. Lots of the pros don't actually see me. And it's not because I'm trying to avoid the nervousness of the transition area, talking to the other pros or anything. I literally just lose track of time. Um, in Cairns and sunny coast, I was just in the room having a coffee with Lauren, enjoying a chat in the morning at like you could know, to be 5 somewhere. a.m. I know. And then you look at the time, you go, oh my God. And all of a sudden you're in a rush and you're panicking that you're not even going to get to the start line. So um, I need to, yeah, there's a lot of things I need to sort work out on time management. Being, yeah, basically. But, um, but that's become a trend and I want to get out of that. Um, I, I do like that. I go into a race pretty relaxed and, you know, not, not worrying too much. And it's just, it's what I love. It's just going to be a bit of fun for the next four hours. But um, yeah, if if I take my training so seriously and I take this race so seriously, then why aren't you there prepared on time? (laughs) I always know that I've got plenty of time left. So I know it's not that big of an issue. Everyone gets there too early. And if you ask me, because the extra sleep's probably worth it. But, um, but yeah, morning of the race it's it's the same as any other day have a coffee two pieces of avocado on toast 
Uh, so two pieces of toasted avocado on it, lots of salt. Um, yeah, a little bit of a chat, um, head down to the race and then chat with other people a bit more. So there's no specific thing that I do. Maybe eventually I'll get into something. Um, I don't know, some sort of meditation or, um, I don't know, some, some better practice to get me in the mindset of racing, but it seems to be working. Okay. Just chilling out. I just need to set the alarm half an hour earlier. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, so you've kind of answered this next question. You get to the start pretty late, um, and you don't really have a routine, but when you do eventually get there, do you size up the competition? Like, do you know, obviously, you know, kind of who's going to be there. Do you sort of go up the front alongside them? Do you kind of get away from like, what's, what's the routine and, and mindset around your competition? Um, well, we're all. I don't know, triathlon being a hard sport to get by in, I think everyone comes together a lot and helps each other out. So, uh, and you always know who's in the race before you, you get there. So you've seen the start list, you've looked at it for weeks and months and you know, who you train, you, you, you alter your training based on why, you know, who's coming or, you know, that guy's a good swimmer. I'm probably going to have to swim pretty well in this race. So I'll focus on that a bit more or he's got high power on the bike. So, I'm going to have to do a bit training, a bit of training specific to that. Um, or this is all going to be about the run. I need to dial in on, but yeah, it, I mean, the run always comes down to how strong your bike is anyway. Um, so yeah, it, you do look at it a lot and then race morning, you just um, chat to the other pros really. Um, some people chat too much and you can tell they're nervous, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. You just, you don't need to do any of that stuff. Not in triathlon. At the end of the day, most of the pros are mates in long course. It's less competitive than the short course stuff, I'd say, because anything can happen in a long course race. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It's four hours. You can just, that's why the nerves aren't really there for me because, um, yeah, someone could be leading by five minutes and then all of a sudden fall to pieces because they didn't drink enough or eat enough or they've gone too hard somewhere and they're just done. So yeah, a lot, lot, lot can happen in a long race. So you just have to think about your own effort um, and timing it well against who the competition is, I guess. I've heard some pretty crazy swim stories. Do you have any? Uh, you mean in the swim in the swim start? Yes. Uh, not really. There's there's some there's some um, wrestling. It can be brutal, right? It can. Yeah, I, I think in long course there's only like up to forty people on the start line usually, so it's still a fair bit. Um, and when everyone's the same level or similar, yeah, it is a hectic start, but yeah, it's nothing compared to when I was doing short course with the Australian squad for a while. And you'd do a French, um, a French Grand Prix race, which, you know, brings together all the best triathletes in the world for short course. It's just French clubs kind of paying everyone to race. So I did a few of those and there's about a hundred blokes on the start line there. And if it's only a 750 meter swim, with five turns like u-turns sometimes it's it's horrible so you yeah you're close to drowning about five times um there's a few people getting penalized for you know dunking people or whatever and um yeah basically that one's just stay alive i'm i get so nervous for those ones <laughs> but but um That's awful. but yeah long course it's it's way less stressful yeah everyone knows over that distance where they're going to come out of the water probably so yeah, you kind of know, like, everyone just kind of gets in their order straight away because you just can't pick right. up with that guy. Yeah, you just 
yeah, everyone gives each other a bit of space. I think in the female racing, there's a bit more um, wrestling. I'm not sure why, but it's probably, it would be rougher for us if we swam in the female race. The, the men's race in long course is very relaxed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's a hard effort, but of course. if anyone touches each other, they just go, oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> and, and you completely separate. <laughs> That's very nice. Gentleman swimming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it might be different for age groupers. There's lots of stories I've heard, but yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, yeah. Um, so, what's the secret to a smooth transition? Uh, well, if you ask me, um, it might be different to other people. Yeah. Um, it, I just wear a, a sleeveless suit, so I come out of the water, take my wetsuit off, that's it. I'm, I'm good to go. Whereas lots of other blokes are running from the water, pulling up a long sleeve. Yeah. Um, tri triathlon race suit, which is meant to be more aerodynamic, but um, on the bike. But I just haven't looked into that kind of stuff. I'd prefer to get out of transition quicker than everyone else. And if you're out of sight, you're out of mind, um, and you can get away and, and hopefully win a race. But yeah, it, it's a long bike, so yeah. they seem they think the aerodynamics is going to um, help more, but. I don't know. I really like the fact that it's it's a lot less stressful for me in transition because I'm going to save, you know, I get to run a bit quicker because they're doing all this fiddling around with their tri suit. So yeah, that's, um, it. Yeah, I, that's my only secret. Everyone else would, would say, stay calm, keep your heart rate down so you can do everything properly and efficiently. But I've done it so many times now that everything's second nature. I never forget anything. It's not very stressful. And I've usually got one of the quicker transitions, which is great. You just put your helmet on and run with the bike. Just yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> just just quick movements, go. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I've got my brother who does, you know, like a whole picnic setup. He just stops, <laughs> sits down, has a three-course meal, ties his shoelaces slowly, looks around, waves to mum and dad and says hello. <laughs> <laughs> puts his helmet on probably backwards <laughs> yeah. and then the race is yeah. finished he's still yeah so he's such a talented athlete but his transitions probably <laughs> he just you know and that's, him that's, down a little bit yeah but he he you know he, he's just doing the right thing it's a great lifestyle to get fit and strong yeah um and who cares he's not as competitive as me which i really respect he um he just in, really enjoys it and yeah he's, it, it proves that he's doing it for all the right reasons um it's not just an ego boost for him he just yeah. likes to go and swim bike and run and he still does really well it's just that his transitions <laughs> awesome. it's just a bit of a picnic <laughs> <laughs> i love it that's great yeah um so what's been your toughest race day experience had and how did you get through it um there's been a few where I've passed out and ended up in hospital for a few days. And there, so obviously I just, did, I just didn't get through them, but um, they would, they were the ones where I was, as I say, bonking. Um, and it was a trend when I first started, I used to, in a, at, as a runner at junior national level, I would probably twice a year pass out and um, just end up in hospital and can't really remember the race at all. And that was either due to the nerves um, and the stress taking all the energy out of me before the race. And I would try and run at my potential, but it would be such a bigger effort because I was so um, energy deficient already going into it that um, I would just get dizzier and dizzier and dizzier, ignore all the signs and run until I'd pass out. Um, and then sometimes it would, it would just be due to pushing myself too hard. Um, so city to bay 
when I was in, I was probably about 14. I did the city to Bay, that 12 K run. And I got a PB for six K, which is so stupid. Um, and I passed out by eight K and then someone at the running club said, Oh, we think you vomited blood. And I'm like, Oh, I can't remember anything. I don't think you can vomit blood from overexertion though. So I'd still don't believe that one, (laughs) but they were there helping me. And um, yeah, that trend started when I first took up triathlons purely because I just, I just probably don't have the best gauge on perceived effort. Um, And I think um, my hardest races might be a bit harder than other people just because I have been known to push to the point where I'll pass out. But I do have a handle on it now because, as I said, Geelong 70.3, when I tried to get the pro license, I pushed to the point where I passed out. Um, my first Olympic distance attempt, I passed out. And that one, I was in hospital for th- three days in Flinders. I was flown back by the rural doctors. And um, dad said that when he came over during the race, I was trying to, I was running with my eyes closed, trying to finish because there was like, you know, 500 bucks to come second. So, I had two Ks to go and I just desperately wanted to finish. Um, and um, yeah, he said I was running in circles and they, they had to stop me by like lowering me to the ground. Um, and apparently my lips were blue. I was pale. Um, and when they asked what my name was, apparently for three minutes, I said, McKenna, 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 McKenna. And I have no memory of this, but I just kept saying my name for three minutes. <laughs> so, so yeah, I've had some really, really horrible race experiences. Um, the pain has been incredible, but, um, you know, Geelong, I wanted my pro license so badly. Kingston, I wanted to finish Olympic distance so badly and come second in this race. And yeah. And then I, I realized how little, um, that matters as well. So now I know it's not worth ruining training for two weeks by going to hospital and having to rest. So if I get to that point, I can, I can recognize it now. And I think I'm getting a better handle yeah and i think i'm getting a better handle on 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 the effort level that i'm at you, if you ask my coach i'm still not great at you know he'll be like you're going pretty hard i'm like no it's easy but yeah. your heart rate would suggest otherwise and all sorts so yeah some days you just feel great regardless of how hard you're pushing so really do you I'm, i don't think <laughs> i've ever felt like that like if i'm going hard i feel it <laughs> yeah. i suppose when you like being out of breath far out that's such a i feel like that would be such a mental battle like understanding the line for you yeah yeah i've I've got a better handle on it now as i said so i know the feelings there's um a lot of numbness in your teeth tingling um in the fingers yeah there's there's these Sure sign, really, really heavy arms, lactic acid everywhere, even though if, well, you know, it feels as heavy as lactic acid, but you're not actually going fast and producing it. So yeah, there's all these feelings that I know that come on. You kind of get this, yeah, this overwhelming, I'm going to pass out feeling, I call it now. So um, I know when to stop now and it hasn't happened in a long time. It hasn't happened in like two years or two and a half years or something. So yeah. Glad to hear that. So uh, what's been your favourite race day memory? Uh, that would probably be Sunshine Coast 70.3 last year. Um, I came second, so it wasn't one of the wins that I had last year, but it, it was probably just um, signified to me that um, I was going to um, make it in this sport. 
I had one challenge Korea and challenge Vietnam. Um, and by like, I suppose, um, big distances as well, but I hadn't raced, you know, you know, one of the best in the world just yet, as in Braden Curry was at Sunshine Coast 70.3 and, and he was, he's currently ranked seventh in the world and he'd come, you know, top 10 at Kona a few times, which is the um, world champs. And we had this battle on the run um, until about 10 K and then obviously 10 K I watched him slowly move away, but um, he only beat me by about a minute and a half or something. So I feel like on that day when I came second, um, I felt like, okay, this is going to happen if I just keep at it. So yeah, um, that's why it meant so much to me. And it was the first time I've ever come across a finish line with tears in my eyes, Um, you know, tears of joy so yeah Vietnam and all that meant heaps to me um, and Vietnam's my favorite race ever um, and I won it by a fair bit but I suppose when you're winning the whole time and you're pretty sure that you're gonna win unless something bad happens um, it's and you know also you kind of had it in your mind that you wanted to win whereas Sunny Coast had no expectations um, definitely not to keep up with him for as long as I did and even maybe you know push the pace at the start of the run where he was even hurting and questioning whether I was going to slow down. And um, I just listened to a podcast. Um, but if he knew what was going through my head at 10K, I was actually going, oh, crap, I've done way too much work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The hardest ones are always the sweeter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 2020 has been pretty challenging. What would have been the biggest changes for you? Um, Besides no events. Going, yeah. Well, just going back to a hectic schedule, really, which was horrible. It was just, hey, I lost the, I lost my job at one point. The, um, you would have thought a nursing agency would be really busy through that period straight away, but um, obviously, a nursing agency is a casual pool of staff that go to all different facilities, and hospitals and all sorts don't want to book agency because they want the same staff coming in and out of their hospital, not people who have been to that hospital, this hospital, that, that aged care facility, you know, just mixing and matching. So um, that business actually started doing really poorly and um, I lost the job just because they didn't have any work for casual employees. Um, There was no racing. So it was a really stressful time. Um, And then all of a sudden things started picking up after about two months and um, they got us back in. And at that point I had taken on coaching um, as another form of income. So it meant that I was doing both now. Um, I was always coaching, but not more than one or two. So now having eight people to coach plus the 20 to 25 hours of work. Plus I took on study because I wanted to make the most of this year and, you know, maybe burn through my savings if I had to and just get the study done because there's not much left now. Um, but then, yeah, it all clashed at the same time and it all clashed right when they announced that Cairns and Sunny Coast were probably going to go ahead later in the year. So I was like, great, now I can't even train for it because I've got all these commitments I've just taken on. So it was just back to those 70-hour weeks with no sleep leading into these two races and I just didn't expect much in the end from the races because it all clash right in time for um, me not to be able to recover properly or train properly. I did race. I came fourth at Sunshine Coast and I was just behind third. Um, and it was good because the field 
had two Olympians in it. It had um, had some other really solid short course athletes and it had some guys that went to, had been to Kona multiple times. So they were really strong fields. But, um, but yeah, I just, you know, based on last year and the natural progression, I would have thought that I would have pulled back on heaps of stuff this year and, and won stuff like that won those races and or you know been competing for first and second and um so to come fourth was great um you know considering the year i'd had and the preparation i'd had but it's just frustrating and it is for everyone some of the pros that fully dedicated to those races and did you know were first second and third or whatever um you know some of them might be going broke now because they focused on triathlon when there was no races yeah so i still don't regret my decision yeah What's um what's coming up for you? What's is there anything on for this the rest of the year or, or early next year? Um, there is a race in two weeks in Queensland. So the the PTO, the Pro Triathlon Organisation, has funded the race, and I'm going to go over to that. And you know, everyone in Australia, um, want, you know, would go as well um, if they could. But I think they only took ten athletes, um, male and female, so twenty all up can race. So you had to kind of apply and get in. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really tough for pro triathletes at the moment. Um, mm. I know some have dipped into their superannuation and whatnot, but there is one more race for me. It's November 15th. And then I had made the world champs, the PTO world champs in the USA in Florida. Um, and that's got a prize pool of 1, 125,000, oh, yeah, yes. so $1.15 million or something. Ridiculous. So so yeah, the minimum you would make coming dead last, which would be 60th place, was going to be 5,000 US dollars. So it sounds all right. And they were going to pay for the quarantine coming home and they're really supportive of the pros. It's great. They're going to, you know, then you, you might get some assistance with travel. You get free accommodation. Sounds awesome. I was really keen and I was training like crazy to get there. But I've just contacted so many travel agents that have said, you know, I'd ask all the questions, health insurance, um, are people getting home? Like with this 6,000 cap on people coming back to Australia, how many flights have been cancelled? All sorts. I asked all the questions and I'd only get a reply of, why would you come here? <laughs> so it started worrying me. And um, eventually one of them elaborated, elaborated, sorry, elaborated a bit. And he said, um, you know, I've had three people had their flights cancelled this week trying to come home. They've been stuck for a month. And I'm just not going to take that risk when we've just built a house. Um, and yeah, as, as we all know, sports, not everything. And um, it's not even just the health thing. Um, you know, there's coronavirus over there and a lot of it, but um, it's also just um, long-term triathlon quality of life, sitting in hotel quarantine for two weeks, just for, you know, the potential to make five grand or whatever, like yeah. who really cares? Like, we're moving into a house. It's Christmas. Enjoy that. And if I aim at 2021, then in the long run, I'm going to do better because I don't have to sit in hotel quarantine and, um, you know, not train for two weeks and all sorts of things. It's just, I think I've made the right choice. Um, plus the travel agents that I contacted <laughs> definitely think I've made the right choice. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so what's 2021 look like? What, are there events that are scheduled to go or? Um, well, in Australia, there's a few. Yeah. 
um, that you can probably plan towards. There's one in New Zealand that hopefully the borders will open up for in February. Um, but yeah, you can't really be sure of anything. However, I still think the sport will be back eventually and the pros will have lots of races eventually. So yeah, I'm not too, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my decision to quit the job. Um, strange decision to quit the job and then the first move you make is not to go to the world champs. But, <laughs> but I think with what's going on, uh, uh, developing and testing out this whole recovery and sleep and um, just, I might be able to just skyrocket in terms of performance. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think I'm thinking really positively. If there's only a few races, but I win them all, then yeah. it's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're thinking long-term, not short-term. Yeah. This has been awesome, Steve. If anyone wants to follow your journey and your progress, how can they find you? Uh, Instagram, Steve McKenna. Uh, I think it's Steve McKenna underscore. Underscore. That's cool. about it, really. Yeah, Facebook, Steve McKenna. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put it all in the show notes along with your famous steeplechase video. Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> to finish this off for those who are dealing with any injury or setbacks uh what is your message to them because obviously through your massive injury you're you made the transition to triathlons and you're a pretty good triathlete at that so what what advice would you give to those well i suppose get a good rehab physio or um uh, exercise physiologist and follow the program to a t that's what i did they told me that you might not be able to run with the injury as well as you'd like, or you're always going to have, you're always going to feel this. And, and I do feel it, but I did the right things in that rehab and it's, um, it's made sure that I can um, train injury free for the last few years. And also maybe just do triathlon because we do three sports. <laughs> you don't have to do too much of anything. So there's not that much overload with the running injuries and all that. You just never get injured if you do the right thing train train wisely and um yeah basically you can just you just never get injured if you're careful so yeah listen to the smarter people (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) and get a massage (laughs) (laughs) get a massage exactly awesome steve thank you so much for chatting with me today it's been awesome thank you That was Steve McKenna, pro triathlete. And if you take anything away from that episode today, it's got to be listen to the smarter people. (laughs) I think that's pretty sound advice. Oh, I always love chatting with pro athletes. It's, I mean, obviously the physicality of what they do, what they're putting their bodies through is incredible. But when you get a peek into their mindset and how they manage their training and the highs and lows and the mental training that goes with it, I just find that incredibly inspiring and um, intriguing. And I think it's it's probably even more powerful than, um, than the physical part to it. Um, obviously, you've got to do the training. That's not what I'm saying. But um, the mind uh, is just an incredible tool that that you can use to to be even better if you enjoyed that episode then please share it with your friends tell all your triathlete buddies because this is a good one to listen to and of course subscribe to the podcast i truly appreciate all your support and you tuning in every week so thank you so very much for that 
I always love hearing from you guys. So if you want to get in touch, you can head over to Instagram where you can find me at Jackie Tan underscore RMT. Let me know what you're loving about the show. Let me know what you want to hear about and who from. And I'll do my very best to make it happen. Until then, have an awesome day, week, month and year. And here is to a world of bodies built better.